Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 277 of the Fun with Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcast, or episode 11 of 2021. I'm Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by the only man that thinks Sebring is the best spring break destination in Florida, Jonathan Gitlin. Hey, John. Hey, Robin. How are you? I am splendid. If someone listens to all 277 episodes, do they get a prize? Yes, yes, yes. They get to listen to the 278th for free. Cool. It is Monday afternoon, March 22nd, and Jonathan and I are going to talk about the results of the 12 Hours of Sebring. And later on, I'm going to have a chat with Porsche factory driver Patrick Long about his day behind the wheel in the Wright Motorsports GTD 911, also at Sebring. So, Jonathan, what did you think of the race? Where do you want to start? Well, I'm very chronological myself, and uh, the first thing that really caught my eye was uh, Jimmy Johnson's spin uh, early in the race. I mean, it was the first 15 minutes, I think, right? There were uh, – I, I I noticed that too. I was going to talk – I was going to bring this up a little bit later, but specifically about the bumps catching people out. So, yeah, he, he got caught out at 17. Later in the race, there was an even more notable um, – or kind of – well, notable is the wrong word – but uh, later in the race, when two other Cadillacs, the 31 and the 5, made contact in a crash that looked like a, a Forza Axe, when NASA, got, <laughs> came out the, NASA came out the pits and got loose on a bump. Or maybe someone, no, maybe the, was it the 5 was coming out the pits? NASA was going into one and got loose yeah. on a bump and basically flew through the air, only about a foot sideways, and a pair of them went straight off. Um, well, that's that's just a, so uh, Nasser was on track going through turn one at speed mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. had a nice, nice fat wobble. And uh, I would I would contend that he moved three feet, not one. But uh, it got him offline just enough and into the line of uh, the other driver who was exiting the pits. But to bring back to what I was originally thinking with regards to, yes, Johnson did spin very early on, but. Oddly for an endurance race, the pack at the front just stayed together. I mean, even though lots of people had trouble, but no one ever no one ever went like none of the top five cars really ran, you know. Did anyone did they all finished on the lead lap, I think, didn't they? Well, a bit but I, I pro- possibly Am I, I getting ahead check. of us. I mean, let's see. No, not no. They did not all finish on the lead lap. You're because We'll, but we'll we'll go to this now, and then we'll we'll circle back. So the top four finished on the lead lap. Fifth right. place Cadillac um, with uh, Ranger Vanderzanda. He um, uh, he. Uh, oh, okay. Real quick, I'm getting a phone call from uh, BMW factory driver John Edwards. Uh, he and I were bantering back and forth just a little bit over the break. I, so hold on, I got to take this, and I hold on a second. Let's see if I can record this. Okay, real quick, this is Robin jumping in after the rest of this was recorded. Just wanted to let you know that I was able to talk with John Edwards. I just couldn't quite start recording it right at the beginning. So we're jumping into the middle of the first part of the conversation. Um, But we had a great conversation, and here it is, my talk with John Edwards right now. Um, Like you said, it's not what we want. It's definitely a weird uh, scenario to be one lap down and on the podium, but... um... That's the first. That's the first for me. But you know, I had actually, uh, I had just changed out of my race suit and was watching in the trailer. We have an intercom set up in the trailer and and had the the broadcast going inside the trailer. So I just changed into my suit, and then the whole incident happened, or changed out of my suit, and the whole incident happened with the Corvette and our sister car. And uh, then I saw them going slow, and I thought, wow. Actually, they're having a problem. Maybe we'll finish third. And on the last lap they passed, so I had to change back into my suit to go to the podium. But I had already resigned myself to, uh, to finishing fourth since we were last down and had no chance to get it back. But uh, it just goes to show that anything can happen, and especially in Sebring. Yeah, man, for sure. And, you know, the, the what happened with the fire? Uh, it just sometimes it can get sort of um, – I guess kind of half plugged in and so it, it would still allow it to latch you know they have these two handles around the fuel hose nozzle and so when it gets partially latched it allows those to close so the fuel flows out but it's not fully 
connected. So basically, it was just pumping fuel down the side of the car. And, uh, ah, and that's the side where the exhaust is. And so the exhaust ignited the fuel. But, I mean, the fascinating, I mean, you know, <laughs> there's a, a moment when I got out, I was looking at Jesse to grab his radio and he ducked into the car and I turned around holding his radio and saw massive flames on the other side of the car. So Jesse had obviously <laughs> seen the fire. Oh, man. And I, I paused a second when I saw the flames and, but as I paused, I saw them coming with the bottles. And so I said, okay, they'll get the flames out and we'll send the car and it'll, and it'll be fine. And, uh, so I leaned in and actually finished buckling them in and I did the window net and, and I held the door open until they were ready to send the car. So it could kind of air the, the fire retardant, uh, flame, uh, yeah, powder. yeah, yeah, sure, so sure. That kind of and that was heads car. up thinking on your part. I, that was, well, it, that was that noticed stuff, by IMSA radio and they were like, oh, that's really good thinking. But I mean, the problem is that didn't really work. So oh. <laughs> it, that stuff, I don't know if you've ever been near one when it goes off, but um, that stuff just permeates everything. And my shoes and my stoop were completely covered. Oh. Um, did it cut even from coming under the car where they were spraying on the other side? It went under the car and covered my shoes. You know, my head, my head was in the cockpit for a minute as I buckled Jesse in. And even just in the short moments that I was in the car, I breathed in enough to where my throat was dry for, I mean, really all of yesterday, my throat was really dry, Ugh. even on Sunday, the day after the race. And so, I mean, I can't imagine how Jesse must have felt, you know, because he, he breathed through that stuff for a long time. And that stuff really, is, I mean, it works by taking all the oxygen out of the air. So when you inhale it, he said that when he, he was trying to take short breaths until the, the, the powder went away. But then eventually, you know, you're scarred for air, and so you breathe in. And he said when he breathed that stuff in, it just burned his lungs like crazy. Um, and so he actually, there was a moment, I, I think the cameras cut away, but there was a moment when he jumped out. He had to jump out of the car, and he kind of stood with his hands on his knees trying to catch his breath again outside the car. But then he got back in and, and left and finished the race and drove an hour and 45 minutes. So it was pretty uh, pretty intense stuff from, from him at the end of the race, I think. But Wow. And, you know, it's, it, it was another one of those cases where your car looked strong and you guys were doing really well. It seemed like you had the answer for the Corvettes pretty much. I mean, so the lead Antonio Garcia, the, the lead Corvette, he was, he was maintaining the lead for a long time, but you guys were right there the entire race. So it was really tight between you and the lead Corvettes and uh, looked yeah, like you guys might have had it for a little while. Yeah, and I think from from practice, we really expected that the, the Porsche would be the class of the field. And I think the Corvette guys thought the same based on what the, the Porsche could do in practice. But in the race, it, it seemed like it wasn't so true. They, they seemed able to do the lap time, but they didn't really have the pace, or, or at least they didn't have a huge pace advantage over a, a full spin. So they could go and bang out a lap, but and that's what they did in practice. And, and we were all thinking that they were going to be the best. And obviously they were very competitive, but it's not like they were running away from us the way we expected. So, you know, I think the Corvette was very strong as well, and they seemed able to do it more consistently than the, the Porsche. But, yeah, we, we were always right there. I mean, when we had the fire, we were actually on the we, – we had made the call to pit and kind of take a risk because we saw a car stopped on track. So we were trying to anticipate the yellows. So we actually got in the pit lane, and the Corvette was – 30 seconds off the lead, so they had nothing to lose, and they did the same strategy as us. Obviously, they, they had a smooth stop and didn't have a fire, so they ended up coming out in the lead, but <laughs> we actually pitted. Yeah. We actually pitted, like, 30 seconds in front of the Corvette, and so we would have easily come out, and then the yellow the yellow came out, so we would have easily come out in the lead Wow. after the pit stop cycle, so we would have been in the lead with, with uh, two cents to go and only one stop, so that would have put us, uh, put us in a really strong spot, because like you said, you know, the Corvette was leading and, and Connor was obviously working hard to um, to keep pace and, and try to move late to get by him. But it was a, a struggle to pass. And I think that that's because we were all very evenly matched. So I think if we had come out of the pit ahead of the Corvette, we might have had a chance to uh, to stay there the rest of the race. So it's unfortunate, you know, it's one of those could have, would have, should have moments. But the, the important thing for us is that the car was strong and, you know, it both well for the the next couple races of our season yeah right and next one being Watkins Glen right 
Yeah, Watkins Glen. And Watkins Glen is typically quite a strong track for the M8, so um, it's my favorite track as well. So I was, I was really disappointed to miss it last year, but um, hopefully everything stays and, and they don't have to reschedule it again like they did last year. But yeah, um, we're, we're very strong at Watkins Glen, and obviously last year we were strong in Atlanta as well, and that was another race that slipped through our fingers in the last uh, half hour. But I think we've, we're in a good spot right now. You know, had had two podiums to start the year and hopefully can keep that going for the next couple. So um, there's there's news out that BMW was working on a GTD Pro program, but there's also rumors out that uh, uh, the Ray Hall team wants to do an LMDH program. <laughs> do you do you have <laughs> any interest or news or anything you can share with us? Well, uh, I mean, I think that's stuff that is generally above my pay grade. Um, I got to work on you getting you a raise, John. That's what I got to do. I don't don't get to make those decisions, unfortunately. (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, there's, I guess, um, Mike Crack had done an interview uh, recently, you know, talking about some intention to do GTD Pro. I think that obviously makes a lot of sense. We already, even before the, the class was announced, we already had a new GT3 car coming with the M4 GT3. And so, you know, when they announced this GTD Pro option, I think it was just a, an assumption by everyone that we would be there. But, you know, unfortunately, with with anything, it just takes time. But I think no one's surprised there hasn't been an official announcement yet. But I think it also won't be a, a huge surprise if we go that direction because it, we have the car, we have, you know, a, a program and, and a good team and a group of drivers. So, I'm hopeful that'll get confirmed and, and we can go there. But at the moment, I don't have any uh, super insider information to confirm or uh, or deny any of that. But I think that definitely makes sense as the direction to go. Well, Jonathan, so thank you so much for the impromptu, the impromptu phone call. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, this is Jonathan Edwards, uh, BMW factory driver, um, oh, no, who finished on the Jonathan, podium. By the way. What's I don't that? know where you got Jonathan, by the way. My parents are going to listen to this and make sure that I oh jeez, i'm so sorry oh john john i am so sorry uh my co-host <laughs> is jonathan and i and i screwed up listen i'm old i'm barely lucid here okay it, well you, you know, know i i used when i was in the atlantic championship i was battling with jonathan summerton and jonathan mamarito and so i was just always jonathan edwards uh oh, whenever geez. the announcers were, were oh talking. man so my parents as the lucky people who who named me officially my parents were always very upset when uh, the announcers would call me jonathan just because there were a bunch of other jonathans in the field but it's officially john on my birth certificate well please please do uh pass along my sincerest apologies both your parents <laughs> and um and i will as soon as i get you the pay raise i will start looking at different nursing homes that i should check myself into <laughs> all right hey Sounds man really have good. a great day always good to talk with you all right talk to you later see ya so, yeah, so John Edwards just explained his perspective of the fire that happened in the pits of the uh, of the 24 BMW M8, and it was basically the fuel nozzle wasn't attached quite correctly, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what caused things. Just a little things. bit and of that, gas goes a long way. Uh, just a little bit is all it takes, and also a little bit of fire retardant goes a long way because that really threw off um, Jesse Crone at the end, and he actually – I, I'm not sure if the camera showed or not, but he had to get back out of the car so he could breathe again. And then he jumped back in and carried on and did that final hour and 45 minutes or so. Uh, Those but chemicals John, are not they're, – they're great for starving fires of oxygen. They're exactly really right. great to breathe. Exactly right. That's, it, it's, it's shockingly similar to what uh, John Edwards was saying because he was saying just standing there next to Kate, Jesse Crone helping him get strapped in and stuff – uh, he he had a course. His throat hurt uh, all day, all day Sunday. In addition oh, wow. to Saturday evening. So here's a really bad admission as a sports car fan. It took me quite a while before my brain recalibrated and I realized that Jesse Crone was the BMW driver because every time I would see Crone, I'd be like, "Huh, Tracy Crone got in the car." <laughs> it was the sixty-something uh, gentleman driver in in GT2, which was before, obviously. GTE Pro came along. Yes. Uh, and he, um, more enthusiasm than talent on many occasions, I think is well, the best way to describe it. Yeah. So 
you you were mentioning before we had that wonderful wonderful interruption uh, that all the DPIs were on the lead lap, but they and, weren't, was, and they were was... not. And so I was just telling you how Ringer Van Der uh, that was Ringer Van Zanda, Kevin Magnuson, and Scott Dixon. They finished uh, 347 laps versus uh, the top fours 349, and, and also uh, Olivier Pla, Montoya, and Dan Cameron who came exactly third right. In yep, Acura. exactly. Um, and um, and Scott Dixon, uh, it was also a BMW incident. Uh, Scott Dixon passed uh, the number twenty-five BMW. Connor D. Filippi was in the car at the moment uh, at the time, I believe. He passed him, uh, but then kind of like a last-minute dart into the pits, it seems, and he damaged the car pretty heavily. Yes, a- and uh, the twenty-five BMW was largely unhurt. I mean, it probably got a scratch, but uh, Plus, nothing also too the- terrible. Uh, uh, the other, obviously, the other prototype that had a a bad day at the end was the forty eight, which got sent all the way to the back. I think they were officially qualified. They officially um, finished twenty eighth overall and seventh. Yeah, twenty eighth. Yeah, overall, seventh in class um, because they messed up the drive times for Simon Pagano. Exactly right. Simon Pagano yep. was in the car for too long, and that is bad. By Which I think shame. they 50 were having an seconds. okay race. They weren't they they weren't really battling for contention, were they? It was more of a they were there or thereabouts. But I mean, I suppose everyone took a turn leading. Yes, but yes. I never Jimmy felt Johnson that the in fact was, was in the car when he was when when that car was leading, and uh, and Kumui Kobayashi was driving his mind uh, driving out of his mind as always. But yeah, the car because of that penalty, they were just kind of never really in it, and it's ironic because. You think in an all-pro class like DPI, it wouldn't be that big of an issue because it's not – this is, you know, as my understanding of the purpose, you, you don't want to give – you don't want to have a pro-am class and mm-hmm. then have the amateur driving for 15 minutes and the pros in right. it for the, the rest of the 11 hours 45. But if it's an all-pro class, that shouldn't make as big of a difference. Do you see what I'm getting at? I do. I think some of the drive time requirements are probably um, a fatigue and safety thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. And 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 to their point, though, they did complete three hundred and forty-nine laps. They were on yep. the lead lap. And Scott Dixon's accident uh, at, with uh, the twenty-five BMW that cost him a couple laps. And uh, but. Uh, but the uh, that was a penalty. They were on track. They were on the lead lap just with the other ones, uh, Simon Pashino, Kamui Kobayashi, and Jimmy Johnson, which, by the way, what an interesting pairing. Japanese mm-hmm. Formula One driver with Formula One, hit, Formula One experience. Um, and an IndyCar IndyCar champion, IndyCar champion, French driver, and uh, a Californian seven-time NASCAR champion. But that's Indy- an interesting Indy- mix, that one. Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. So, so should we talk a little bit about how the number five won? Yes, let's do that. That was uh, the first race win for Sebastian Bourdais, apparently, since uh, he won uh, the IndyCar race at St. Pete six years ago. No kidding. Apparently. Wow. And this time, he did not drop the trophy. That's one of the saddest <laughs> things I've ever seen. He was crestfallen. Because they didn't glue the glass trophy onto its wooden base. So he picked it up. This is at St. Pete. All those years ago, he picked the trophy up by the wooden base and this beautiful cut glass bowl on top of it just fell off because it wasn't secured. Jeez. Oh, man. Yeah, that is a shame. But uh, good for him for not for not damaging the trophy. And I'm glad the trophy was appropriately secured. Yep. And uh, good for JDC Miller Motorsport, which uh, I believe is the the, like the most independent of the Cadillac teams and the smallest Mm. budget, I think. So they're like the. You know, the plucky underdogs, and they did it. Well, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think they've proven to be competitive in the past. But, you know, uh, you know, I think credit where credit's due, when I, I think that's fair. So um, I want to talk a little bit about GTLM uh, race winners, uh, Porsche, because it's the WeatherTech Racing team mm-hmm. that did it. That was, it's a, was it's a, a privateer team. Good for them. <laughs> does, does it say anything about the state of GTLM? I, maybe I'm not sure it does. I mean, you could say, "Oh, there's just not enough strong competition, and that's why they won." But I don't think that's true. 
I think, well, I I think mean, Corvette's had a bad day, and I, I think th- Porsche just did it right. Yeah, exactly. I, I'll put it to two things, you know, well, three things, I suppose. 911 RSRR is an inherently strong car mm-hmm. and, and good around the bumps. Corvette had a bad day, and um, uh, but also Cooper McNeil did his job well. He didn't get a little over-anxious in his driving stints and just left it to the professionals, you could say. Mm-hmm. They must be very happy about moving up to GTLM this year from after having spent all those years in GTD. Yeah, exactly. I would, I would think so. But oh, I'm, I, I'm just receiving a text message from my wife. She says the reason the Porsches did well is because their natural enemy, the Ferraris driven by dentists, weren't <laughs> really around to wreck them. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think that is uh, quite uh, lovely insight and input to have. And, you know, not wrong either, probably. So, uh, but, you know, I think Corvette racing certainly looks strong going into this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ooh, BMW... Speaking of Corvette racing looks, I think they had a bad day because they painted the yellow car a different color. So Corvette <laughs> racing is bad enough that only one of the Corvettes is yellow this year. But then for this race, they painted them both silver, and there was a silver and red one and a silver and white one. And I'm sorry, no, not a fan. Painted so, yellow, you'll win So races. shame. So full yeah, shame. Well, I mean, huh? you know, it's the silver ones don't go faster. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's been proven now. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, maybe they were just one data point short and now they have that data point and they can know to paint them yellow again. But uh, it was really fascinating, you know, and as John Edwards, you know, as as we spoke about, the BMW team finished second and third, two races, uh, two Sebring 12 hours in a row uh, under similarly bizarre circumstances. It's interesting how that works. And uh, I'm fascinated that uh, Corvette had as much trouble as they did, to be totally honest. So, I think you must be right that uh, it, it's the paint because even um, the Corvette race with because uh, Tommy Milner got a penalty right at the start. I think he changed lanes mm-hmm. at the start and that that caused a penalty. So they were on their back foot from the from the very first lap. They and and they finished three laps behind the top four runners, which were uh, the the number three Corvette had a slightly better day. Um, they led early on. Actually, I thought they were gonna. I thought it was theirs, but. But they finished fourth, still on the same lap as the top three. Oh, uh, no, I suppose technically the WeatherTech was a lap ahead. Hmm. Anyway. So what about... Well, did okay first half of the race, I would say. And then, yeah, but then it, went, it went wrong for them. Uh, they, they prefer the sunshine. So mm-hmm. what about LMP3? Was there anything remarkable about that racing? I mean, they were largely clean. Uh, there were a, f- a few of them went off. I think I, I seem to remember seeing lots of them spinning from time to time. Yes, um, there was some of that for really, sure. They didn't really, honestly, I, I, I didn't really pay much attention to them. No, nor did I. I the Win Dixie I. car was pretty and eye, is eye-catching um, and kind of stood out. Uh, and Colin Braun won the class and Jonathan Bennett and George Kurtz. So, but yeah, I mean, as we discussed the first time we spoke about sports car racing, I just, I don't. The LMP3 just doesn't interest me to watch. Um, yeah. I will say that I do think they sound cool. That's – they sounded uh, – hearing them, hearing just the throaty V8s rumbling around in the prototype cars out of Sebring corner exits and stuff like that, that was cool to listen to. But uh, that's, that's about – I'm going to stop there. I don't think there's much more to say beyond that. And then in GTD – well, GTD gave us a really big – caution at the beginning of the well early on in the race yes 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 between the mercedes and the lamborghini yep that was uh that was a big hit i mean they the pair of them they went airborne together and then flew straight into the same tire barrier which pushed the concrete jersey barrier behind that exactly several feet and yes yeah that that required uh, a lengthy fix both the drivers were okay but it was definitely a dramatic race, uh, dr- dr- dramatic racing incident. And it was just, I mean, it was the, the physics there couldn't have been simpler. You, you take all the, the energy of a race car and you double it and that's, and that's, that's what happens. You know, you just, you just double the momentum because you had the weight of two GTD cars flying at the same barrier at the same time. And that was a good, I don't know, it was about 15 feet in front of a, a camera tower. Yep. So there was a cameraman there that I'm sure, uh, you know, his heart skipped a beat or two. I don't know if you saw last week, 
But uh, our colleagues over at Jalopnik published a rather provocative take. Bradley Brownell suggests that, that it's time to repave Sebring because the bumps make for bad racing and they're dangerous. Incorrect. Do, do we think we saw that this weekend? They certainly keep people on their toes. I remember very distinctly, I had a conversation. This, is a, this was a few years ago now with Catherine Legg. In fact, it might have been three years ago exactly. And it was like, I, I think Sebring's better because it's worse. And she's like, you know, absolutely. It, you know, mm-hmm. be, because the place is... Worse than what? Worse than, say... Um, anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, like European tracks, like Spa or wherever. I mean, it's definitely, have you been, it's definitely the worst if you're trying to find somewhere to stay. Because oh, yeah, yeah. Daytona, it is really in the middle of nowhere. Well, no, I, I, stayed, uh, I stayed on the other side of Florida, like on the Gulf of Mexico side, and about an hour and a half away, and it was fine. But then you have to drive an hour and a half to get to the race. It's true, yes. But that is less than two hours to get to the race, So, That's which true. is how far Orlando is. Anyway, she was basically like, yeah, the, the character of the track is what makes it great. And, you know, it's it's been a bumpy, rough place for a really long time. Uh, Pretty much since they built it as a World War II airbase in yeah. the 1940s. Yeah, Bradley Brunel is absolutely right. It's not the 50s anymore. But I think that modern cars, more and more, there's, there's a larger romantic appeal to that. And he made this argument that um, cars are more dependent on aero and more sensitive to that than they ever have been. It's like, yes, that's why tracks like this need to stay. Mm-hmm. Because you can't you always. Develop, we need mechanical grip too. Yep, makes you develop good dampers, shock absorbers. I think you exactly right. Yes, yes. It, the, both 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 terms work. Like push and understeer. Yes, exactly right. Uh, I don't know if you were watching the um, the NBC broadcast at all, but no, there was, uh, I, I watched the, uh, highlights after the fact. But, the uh, boot not... cut versus regular cuffs debate came up. <laughs> okay. And apparently Jimmy Johnson, I think, for this race had switched back to a boot cut suit from the cuffed version that he was wearing at Daytona because some of his NASCAR friends, I guess, were giving him a hard time on Twitter, which seems silly. And I'm just going to say yet again that boot cut racing suits look dumb. Well, speaking of Jimmy Johnson, I, what, what did you think of his performance in general? It was okay. Like I said, that um, for some reason, the 48th performance, it just, it never seemed to, I, I never thought, hey, these guys are going to win it, uh-huh. if that makes sense. Don't really have any specific critiques for him, which okay. I'm sure Jimmy will be glad about. I'm sure he was waiting. What, what's Gitlin going to say about my driving at Sebring? <laughs> Your driving keeps, is fine, Jimmy. Keeps refreshing Ars Technica yeah. every 15 minutes. I mean, minutes. I think, uh, you know, he's, um, with that car... You know, it's not a well. I suppose I, I was going to say it's not a full time season, full season effort. But at the same time, I mean, it's just they're, they're, This is just the second race of the season, and they did the first race, so they're you know as up to speed as anyone else. Even though you know, high downforce cars are not his first speciality. Correct. Um, and um, but I, you know, he, I don't think he did anything particularly dumb. I mean, there was that spin early on, but happens to all of us. So they've got to respect the bumps. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think, especially turn seventeen. That's what makes that corner so insane and unique and wonderful. Is it's it's, it's extremely bumpy and it's extremely wide. So you have and these like, and it's blind, and and, and it's super day, quick entry, right in your eyes. S- super quick entry, and uh, and so there's so many different lines that are tempting, but you have to know that certain lines will have have pitfalls and you have to make sure that you are on or you are off the throttle in certain places there. And I, I think that's part of the fun of that place to be perfectly clear. I agree. Yeah. So, um, well, all right. I think now is as good a time as any to jump into the scheduled interview <laughs> for this podcast with Porsche factory driver, Patrick Long. And let's hear what he had to say about the 12 hours of Sebring. Porsche factory driver, Patrick Long. You are on the show yet again, uh, and I'm just so immensely grateful. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me back. I figured it would you'd, you'd be sick of me by now. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think we've got a whole solid seven minutes in front of us before that happens. Awesome. Maybe even eight. Um, so are, are you back in California? Yep, back in sunny SoCal. Um, just uh, 
taking it all in, it was a interesting long week in Sebring. Uh, lots of racing. The debut of the Carrera Cup was super cool, Carrera Cup North America. And then, of course, it couldn't have gone quite uh, much better for Porsche in the 12-hour. Uh, we almost locked out the podium there in GTB. I heard that uh, Catherine Legg was on the way to a third um, before a, a little coming together with Andy Lally. So um, fun fun to celebrate on Saturday night. Uh, we didn't get too, too wild, but uh, stayed up late telling stories of a wild race and uh, then jumped a plane back to Southern California yesterday. Yeah, and it was... It was a wild race, even though it was a dry race. There was a lot going on, especially in the GTD category. So, like you said, Porsche ended up doing extremely well, winning in GT Le Mans, winning in GT Daytona, and like you also mentioned, you know, almost almost owning the podium because your team, Right Motorsports, finished in second, right behind Path, and. Um, Oh gosh, I don't remember Catherine Lake's team, but uh, uh, yeah, it was the Earl Bamber team. Earl Bamber team, yeah, you know they were ended up finishing fourth, um, not quite on the podium, but uh, so it was great to be a part of Porsche's success. But at the same time, for you, you were, I'm sure, preferring to be on the top step up at the podium. So for you personally, a little bit, a little bit hollow, I would guess. Yeah, not as bad as you'd imagine. Um, we came out with the endurance points and overall points championship uh, lead. It's still early days, but if you would have asked me uh, of 2020 if the next two Sebring 12 hours would yield a, a first and a second in GTD, uh, I would definitely have signed up for that. So really um, not putting a positive spin on it. Uh, we're happy. Uh, the race was anything but smooth for us to drive through penalties, uh, we had some contact, friendly fire from one of the other Porsches, um, plenty of, of adversity. So happy with that. The end of the race came down to an all-out sprint, as it usually does at Sebring, a late yellow in the dark. And then it just is about multiple class racing at its finest. Um, everybody's going for it. The, the, the championships are so close these days. The cars are so equally matched that it's it's just crazy heroic and sometimes <laughs> Uh, terrible overtaking opportunities that are taken <laughs> by some drivers. And yeah, sure. um, it just means that you have to survive. And, and we survived. Uh, tried to pull Lawrence Van Thor in at the end. Uh, he was in the fast car and ended up winning the class. But he was really strong on the restart. I ended up in the middle of the GTLM battle uh, and lost some ground there. And then by the time I got my tires cleaned off, we started to reel him back in and just came within 2.1 seconds of, of the victory after uh, after 12 hours. It, it, it's wild to think that cars can run that hard for that long on a track as bumpy as Sebring. But, you know, catching somebody is one thing. Passing them is another. And uh, I, I think that FAF deserves all the credit for uh, a, a great race. And, and the Wright Motorsports guys, we were we were celebrating with second, which is, which is unique. Normally, second sucks, and you feel like you're so close to at a major sports car win. But in this case, uh, with everything that we we went through, we're happy. Yeah, yeah, and I understand that. And 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 just as you said, it was you yourself. You finished the race off, and I think you were in the car for what had to be at least two hours at the end, right? Uh, yeah, um, you know, sometimes I surprise myself. Uh, other <laughs> times I disappoint myself. But um, I'll be forty this year, and. Uh, I think Lawrence is probably still in his 20s and came out of the factory uh, RSRs and into the GTD category this year. And he, he's tough. He's quick. And uh, But we, we ran him down there at the end and, and keep it holding our own with these guys. So uh, it's fun. I mean, Trent Hinman is, is another kid in his 20s. Your uh, teammate. drove with us this weekend. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Jan Halen and I go back uh, more than 20 years as, as friends with Jan. And he's another one of the old guys. So uh, we we have fun out there. Um, it's just a crazy battle. The Lexus cars had a huge amount of pace uh, this this year. Um, the Mercedes as well. But it was kind of nice that um, it was a Porsche battle at the end, and and a lot of that was because of how much uh, just incidents and mechanical failures. And it really had an old school feel this year. The race had a lot of attrition, a lot of cars dropping out, and. Um, it's not always like that. There are years where you go 12 or 24 hours and every single car is there on the lead lap. But this had a, a much more old school feel where you had to really survive to be there at the end. And there was really, I think, only five, six cars that could battle there for the victory at the end. But 
Um, with about an hour and a half to go, I came up on the Aston, and it was uh, running well, but we were stronger in some of the tighter, more twisty sections of the track. And so there was a little bit of, uh, of nose-to-tail uh, contact, but it, we, had, we had good laughs about it at the podium afterwards. So, yeah, just one of those races that brings you a little bit of everything. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think in a lot of ways, the 12 hours of Sebring is more mechanically tough on the equipment than the 24 hours of Daytona. And I'm curious if if your car mechanically held up, like did, did your brakes last the event? Did you have any major issues that you had to deal with um, throughout the race? Uh, it ran like a top. Uh, again, most of our challenge came through self-imposed um, um, issues. Uh, one of my teammates jumped, jumped to the start and crossed the line. Um, oh, in, in you guys had row. one of those penalties. So we had that. Ah. Yeah, and then we had a uh, we had one where uh, he actually touched the tire getting out on the driver change, and they they deemed us to have an extra man over the wall, which is a, a uh. technicality. But no, the car ran super well, and everything went uh, down to schedule. And you know, it's it's just a uh, it's one of those tracks where it beats race cars up. And you know, there's there's a clickbait happy website out there that that writes some stories and gets social media all buzzed up. And I rarely I rarely respond, but the uh, headline was: Should Sebring is it time for Sebring to be uh, repaved? I and I know that I know story, writer, and I know the person that wrote it. Writer. Yeah. yeah, no, he's a good writer and I respect him, but I, I know that um, certain websites have certain uh, strategies to getting clicks. And, and I just basically said, no, there's zero um, debate on whether Sebring should be uh, repaved, whether it's for safety, whether it's for speed, whether it's for being less challenging for the cars. There's a reason that Audi used to fly its whole prototype team to Sebring um, and test for the the Le Mans 24 hours at Sebring and people often w- wondered why if you're not racing at Sebring why you would fly a, a whole infrastructure of 60 crew members to Sebring and it's because if you survive that race you can survive anywhere so um, Porsche's won the last four years in um, the GT GTLM category yep. and it's pretty it's pretty unbelievable and then to see you know over 35 of those cars brand new the 992 cup car which has just been released um, the first global race for that car was also at Sebring, and those cars ran flawlessly. It was it was a great battle. There's a real new spirit to the championship with with youngsters that are from all over the world, not just domestic based drivers. And uh, so there's a lot of things going. I think um, Porsche Porsche should be happy um, this Monday morning on on how Sebring went for them last week. Yeah, well, you'll be very happy to know that uh, throughout the podcast episode. Um, that very article was mentioned and discussed, and uh, <laughs> my co-host and I are in 100% agreement with you. And uh, so it, I, I am just just really heartened to hear you basically repeat what we were saying as well. Good, good. Well, I've been going there um, not as long as, as many listeners, but uh, for, for a majority of my life, I've been driving at Sebring 25 years plus, and I can tell you it's as good now as it's ever been, and it was awesome the day I showed up there and ran in a Skip Barber school car. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a special place, and, and love it or hate it, uh, you learn to respect it, and, and it is a place on the global calendar that I hope is around for a long time. Well, you, you and I share that uh, specific thing. My very first time in a Skip Barber car was the two-day advanced school at Sebring. And uh, it was just absolutely marvelous. Very cool. Yeah. yeah, and I mean the configurations. I mean, think about just the short course and and what that uh, is as a staple in the IndyCar uh, preparations for the year. It's not just good weather. The reason that that people go there is because it, it, it is like a street course, and it's such a great place to uh, learn how to drive and test. And then if you look at the other configuration being sort of the front half of the racetrack also in its own kind of segmented way, uh, an amazing track. So there's lots of different ways to uh, skin the cat at Sebring. And, and I know that place must run nearly 24-7 um, around the clock with, with weather and, and the love of people doing track days and club racing and vintage racing and modern racing. It's a, it's a pretty, pretty cool place to uh, be part of the IMSA ownership family of, of tracks. After this result, um, what are your what are your feelings going into um, Mid Ohio? Well, first of all, I think um, that we've we've been developing this GT3R, and we're in a really good place with mechanical grip 
and how the car makes performance. We're definitely down on downforce and top speed um, compared to some of the bigger cars uh, like the BMW or the Lexus. But on a total lap, we like technical racetracks like Mid-Ohio, so that's good. I think the competition, inter-team competition between the other Porsches, FAF and Earl Bamber Motorsport uh, Hardpoint is going to be intense uh, with Earl and, and Lawrence both coming out of the 912 factory car and into GTB. Uh, I know we're all going to have our elbows up um, fighting the for to be the top Porsche, but yeah, you never count out and just all kinds of competition and many, many champions within the GTD. We have that uh, to look forward to. I think it's going to make for great TV. And then if you count in all the other categories and, and top storylines that are coming, I think it's just going to be as strong as it ever has this year. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, I want, I really appreciate um, you having that perspective and being able to share that with me. I had a great question and it just slipped my mind, but it was killer. Patrick, you would have loved it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I also, I'll, I'll, I'll throw one in there since, uh, since you, you didn't remember your question, but, um, <laughs> Mid-Ohio is a, is a, a place that has so much culture in motorsport, especially road racing and so much heritage and history, not only because it's an awesome and technical track, which is pretty tough to pass on because even their straights turn, but, um, yep. there's such a fan following there. There's such a local, uh, knowledge base of sort of Midwest sports car package. That part, I really hope by the time we get there in, in May, um, that we'll be a little more open and the paddock can get back to usual because last year didn't feel quite right. So, um, that, that's something we hope this vaccine continues to uh, do what it's been doing and, and we can get back to some uh, fan interaction because I do miss that part of it. Well, I'll, I'll cross my fingers. You hold your breath. Um, yeah. I remembered my question. Hooray. Uh, I was curious if, you know, definitely the 911 is, is strong in Sebring. I think like that car inherently handles bumps really well. And you have a little bit less wheelbase than uh, certainly like the M8. But um, I'm curious if there was a time of day where your car felt stronger. Like did your car get stronger as it got cooler at night or were you really strong during the warmth of the day? Where was your car the best or when I'm sorry. You know, it, it did come good at the end of the race and we really work on that. Uh, we try to leave it outside the, the hands of fate or, or luck. And we were a little concerned with how we built front tire pressure when the tires were cold. It did get pretty cool for uh, Friday and Saturday at Sebring. It was very hot earlier in the week. But uh, we were running a different tire, actually, than in November. We were running the S9, which is the harder spec tire. Mm. And uh, we came we came good when the, when the track temps dropped and the grip was up from 12 hours of, of exclusive running and rubber being put down on the track. I was really happy with our balance. I had a very tough middle stint where we had done a brake pad change and the tires we didn't replace and so I had new brakes and old tires, and that made the car really tricky to drive. And oh, yeah. I ended up slipping back on a restart when some of the other cars had new tires. And those are the places where you just kind of stay calm. And, and even though your ego is hurting, uh, you remind yourself that there's still some six hours of racing to go, and there's going to be yellows, there's going to be strategy. And so we kind of just rode around and ate humble pie. And, and luckily when the air was cleared up and, and it was time to go at the end, we were able to advance forward, get around Andy Lally and, and that Aston that I mentioned. And, and then it was just sights on trying to win the thing. But, yeah, it's uh, always tough after 12 hours. I mean, I can feel it in my body right now. It's uh, banging around Sebring. You, you have to save a little bit of energy for the end. <laughs> the fewer cars on the track, the visibility's down, the lap times are up. You know, our quickest laps are happening now at night. And I have to say, you know, five, ten years ago, it was really hard for me to put my best lap together um, in the, in the night time um, at, at somewhere as dark as Sebring. So I don't know. Maybe maybe your eyes can get better with age. I always thought it would be, first, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely feeling feeling happy uh, about how everything went, and uh, just goes to show that if you just keep working on your process and you know doing your preparation and your homework, I I surprised myself even a little bit this week. So uh, well, fun awesome. fun race for us and. Uh, the team just hit their marks as as always, and yeah, it's uh, it's great when you go racing with with people that are are friends and and competitors, and the Hardwick family who really stands behind this organization. You know, Ryan wasn't in the car because of an accident that he had at Daytona, but 
he was there on the pit stand for every single lap of the race and he's just the ultimate competitor whether it's racing jet skis or racing go-karts with his kid and in this case leading the team he's an entrepreneur and a businessman and uh he was right there with John Wright and, and the team. And, uh, that's the way, that's the way Porsche likes to go racing with, uh, customer teams is really finding those people that are racers that respect and, and love the, the product, but also understand that it's a partnership. I mean, everybody puts in valuable, uh, assets, time, money, uh, energy. And so, yeah, it takes, it takes a lot to bring a team across the line like we did. So, uh, grateful to be a part of this, this group. Yeah. And so I, I'm kind of doing this in reverse order now because I did want to ask. It sounds, based on what you're saying so far, you had no concerns because you qualified. The car qualified, what, eighth or ninth in class? And I didn't – I figured you guys probably weren't too worried about qualifying position, that you were more focused on race pace anyway. Well, there were two different qualifyings. This year they're going to qualify the pro and the am. And in the am category, we were – Second, but uh, technically on pole because the, the the pole position Lamborghini failed tech uh, through some electronics details. I don't know. They had a GPS uh, monitor on board. Um, and then in my category against the pros, we were fifth, I believe, which was a little bit of a disappointment. Um, I, I was hoping for at least a, a top three, but man, it's tough when you get some of these cars. We know how quick they are over one lap, but on an hour long pace, we seem to be able to get the measure on them so yeah not too bad but starting starting uh on pole uh was short-lived as i mentioned with with a little bit of a drive-through penalty but um no it's you know 12 hours at sebring the spectacle and the challenge of qualifying is is bragging rights and a few extra points but everybody knows that three hours into sebring everybody kind of forgets about who qualified where Ah, well, and, and, and clearly you don't even have to be in the race because I clearly just misremembered where you qualified entirely. <laughs> so um, did, does this, you know, now that you're two races into this season, I'm just curious if you've developed any further opinions on the coming GTD Pro class and what you think about that. Um, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic. Um, one part of me loves that GT racing is simplifying um, from a, a, a case of complexity for the fans to follow how many different categories there are. Uh-huh. We definitely don't need more categories or acronyms in sports car racing. But there's a second part of me who believes that the gentleman driver and the pro-am competitor is the essence of sports car racing and how we've survived uh, as a sport. And so I don't want them to feel marginalized by all of a sudden a pro-pro category being up front of them so i don't know there's pros and cons to it but we're just gonna have to let that come and and hope that you know kind of these globalized formats of lmdh um the prototype category that's upcoming and also this gtd based on the european kind of fia gt3 cars i think i think it's all going to be positive i just want to make sure that the uh the guys that have invested in this from a pro-am standpoint are taken care of and and feeling that they're they're the main event as well well patrick i definitely hope that's the case and i absolutely wish you the very best of luck at mid ohio that is a technical track but a very fantastic one and uh, i really appreciate you taking the time and enjoy sunny california as you recuperate yeah i'm sure you can hear that there's no um there's no lack of of noise and and drama in in orange county as we kind of make our (laughs) a run but uh fun to join you on the the podcast and uh look forward to coming back next time all right thank you so much thank you patrick wow yep you gotta you gotta love scheduled and unscheduled interviews all in one podcast i'm I'm very i'm very i'm very pleased with myself right now (laughs) Uh, i'm gonna pat myself on the back once Uh, well done Robin. ah that there it is that felt nice the thing about Patrick Long, so he was part of the second place finishing car, the Wright Motorsports 911R, not the PAP Motorsports 911R that won. With His is uh, the beautiful teal color, and PAP is the lumberjack, red and black lumberjack. The, oh. Yes, but I do. I have interviewed Lars Kern, that was in the winning car, a German, uh, German Porsche driver that uh, sets a lot of uh, Nordschleifer records in their production stuff. And um, he's he's a really good guy, so I'm certainly happy for Lars. That must be a fun job. But uh, um, you know, but 
Patrick always has really, really fantastic insight. So really happy that he had the few minutes to sit down and, and join us as well. He might've been standing. We were, <laughs> I actually don't know, <laughs> but uh, uh, do you have any closing thoughts on this before we, before we close uh, the chapter on the 12 hours of Sebring 2021? No, not really. I think uh, I'm sad not to have been at a racetrack now for over a year. Uh, I was hoping I would go to Long Beach last year. That race didn't happen. Long Beach would be the next race on the schedule, but it's, I don't. Is it, are they racing at Long Beach this year? I don't know. Uh, I'm ready for COVID to be over. That's that's my thought, but it's not. Well, so. that is that is entirely fair. I I think that there is there is a possibility. And this is something perhaps maybe you and I could even do together. There's a there's a real chance that uh, there'll be an opportunity to go to Petit Le Mans in person. I you know I think I think Petit probably will happen. Or yeah. Petit Le Mans because it's the male version. Oh, so the <laughs> next race is May fourteenth at Mid Ohio, which is a long time to wait for another race. That's two months. Except that the next race um, that I'm going to be paying paying attention to is coming up this weekend. Because Formula One is starting, the Bahrain Grand Prix Ooh. is coming on this weekend. So uh, this uh, this is extremely exciting because there's a possibility that uh, Mercedes will not be the obvious dominant team this year. We could have and, a real contending fight with the Red Bulls here. And and if you watch Drive to Survive Season 3, you will learn that Checo Perez is apparently the best F1 driver has, that has ever walked the earth. So he'll be <laughs> bound to win the championship for them. <laughs> Certainly determined. Um, I'm not. So, I'm not quite ready to go bound. It's, it's a very pretty show, yet. but it, but it's not entirely the whole story about the 2020 F, F1 season. Yes, that is but that's show. probably a conversation for a different podcast. So yes, but uh, we're certainly next week. We're going to be talking about the uh, Bahrain Grand Prix. Absolutely, I'm extremely excited for that. Are you going to wake up and watch it live? Uh, yes, I think there's a very good chance I will uh, wake up and or stay up and watch it live. Good job. But. Um, and, and then there's uh, IndyCar, theoretically at least, is going to be starting in the middle of April as well. So uh, there is plenty of racing, even though IMSA is going to be uh, parked for a little while. Until the, uh, until next week, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. And also go to youtube.com slash c slash Robin Warner and check out my YouTube channel. I got to add that into my, I got to add that in. Uh, Jonathan, it's uh, always good to talk to you and nerd out on some endurance racing. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. If you want, you can be a part of the podcast, Harrison. Do you want to say hi? Yeah. Okay.